Glenn, I know some people here haven't heard you speak, but you've got okay. a funny accent. No. <laughs> oh, uh, you've got a funny accent, and you were not very... You were, no, you seem to be very pleased when England lost yesterday, so where... Tell us more, where are you from? <laughs> I better get... I better get my coat. I better get my coat. I don't speak with a funny accent. You speak with a funny accent. I speak perfectly normally. I'm from Australia. And, um, and actually, you know, I won't say that. Um, so uh, I did live in Wales for four years. In fact, the first time when we first moved from Australia to the UK, we lived in Wales right on the border between Wales and England. And I learnt from the age of 14, which is when we moved, um, that if sort of drunken revellers kind of leaving a pub late at night on the Welsh-English border ask you, are you Welsh or English, it's really good to be able to say, I'm Australian, and then just get out of there. Um, Because things can get very hairy there. So um, so yeah, I've lived uh, lived half my life in the UK now, grew up in Australia, uh, lived over here for a lot of my life. Uh, Give or take the odd deportation, I've been here since 1993. Yeah. So are you, are you a professional Australian or do you get up to something else <laughs> during, during the week? Yeah, I'm just an amateur. <laughs> um, so during the week, uh, my job is to go around talking about Jesus. I'm just, I'm just desperate that people meet Jesus. I think he's incredible. And so I do lots of different things to try and help people connect with who Jesus is, either speaking to people who don't yet follow Jesus about who Jesus is or helping Christians who know about Jesus, to help them tell their friends about Jesus, or to produce resources that might get shared online or books or that kind of thing to help people connect with Jesus. So that's my job. Hmm. Yeah. And does that mean that you've kind of, have you believed in Jesus all your life? Um, No. I mean, I I kind of, I I went to church and Sunday school and that kind of thing, and I, I sort of believed in a God who was out there, but I never really connected that we're talking about Jesus until I was about 21, and I remember, I remember reading through the Gospels, which are the biographies of Jesus. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and if you haven't read one since becoming an adult, dive in. They're, they're amazing, the most best-selling, uh, most widely read pieces of literature on the planet, and I just started reading about the personality of Jesus and just saw his grace and love and his authority and his control and I just thought this guy's amazing and I thought if this guy if this guy's what God's like that changes everything and so from going from believing in some kind of God out there seeing oh no we're talking about Jesus suddenly you get excited don't you I mean we've been praying and and mentioning about how wonderful Jesus is Um, when you see that it's about Jesus I think things start getting excited. And from about that age of 21, uh, I started to want to tell everybody about who he is. And so that's what I, I've kept on doing. Great. Well, it's great to have you here this morning to talk to us as well. Just Thank a you. final question. Oh, yeah. Next Saturday, <laughs> yeah. be Australia. What will the score be? What's your prediction? Um, I think England are going to beat Australia. Um, and I think it's all going to come down to that um, bogus try that was not scored last, last week. The bonus, there's no way he crossed the line, but I think it'll come down to that controversy. And when it happens, you'll, you'll know that I have spoken prophetically. But, <laughs> forget that I said that. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think England are going to beat Australia. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. We'll All right. Thanks, <laughs> Yes, great.
Okay, thank you, Ben. Brilliant. Well, great to be with you. Um, if you guys have Bibles on you, you might want to turn to John chapter 1. If you don't, we'll um, put some verses up on the screen, and that's absolutely cool. Uh, and I'm actually going to, I was speaking about the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at John's gospel. The first few sentences from John's gospel, John was one of Jesus' best friends, and so he gives us a beautiful insight into who Jesus is. And, uh, and actually, John's gospel is the most widely read part of the world's all-time bestseller, the Bible. Uh, it's been translated into more languages than any other piece of literature. It's been more read, more heard, more discussed than any other sentences that have ever been spoken. So that's interesting to think about, isn't it? And what it does is it tells us about Jesus, the most famous man who ever lived. Uh, Jesus, the one who absolutely splits the calendar into BC and AD. We wake up and we open up our newspapers and we know it's the year 2015. Well, 2015 since what? Since, actually the question is, since who? Since this Jesus. And actually Jesus is this unparalleled figure in human history who has won the hearts of more people than anyone ever could in human history. He has gained more support globally than anyone has even tried to gain in human history. He has united more people from different ages and histories, from different cultures, from different languages, from different races. Um, Jesus is an unparalleled figure. And all I want to do this morning is just offer you the suggestion, could this guy be God? Could this one be the one? Because if he is, I think it's the most stunning good news you've ever heard in your life. If Jesus, the one who walked the planet 2,000 years ago, the one who we're about to study in John's gospel, if he is really what God's like, I'm in. I'm all in. And actually, as I speak to people, whether they've been Christians all their lives or whether they've never set foot inside a church before, when I start talking about Jesus, people start getting interested. And when I start suggesting, what if this guy really is what God is like? The lights come on and people see the good news. Uh, Lord Byron, the poet, he once said, if God is not like Jesus Christ, he ought to be. Which is interesting, isn't it? It's sort of, God ought to sort his act out, you know. <laughs> get, get your act together, God. You, you need to be more like Jesus. Well, the good news that the Bible says is God is entirely and utterly, completely like Jesus. Uh, let's have a look at these first few verses uh, from John's Gospel. Uh, do we have the words on the screen? Here we go. The Gospel of John, one of Jesus' best friends. Chapter 1, and beginning from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, what does that mean? The Word. Now, what do we do with our words, right? What we do with our words is we communicate ourselves. You know a little bit about what's going on with me because I share my words with you. Uh, you know, when Al said, Glenn's about to open his mouth, and you'll realize he's not from around here, if I just kept quiet, you wouldn't know very much about me. But suddenly I start to speak and you start to know who I am. The Bible says God has a word. 
He's got a communication. He's got an expression. He wants to share himself. If you can imagine, like, there's a kind of a throne representing God. And imagine in cartoon terms, just a speech bubble coming out of the throne. There's a speech bubble. God is saying something. What's inside the speech bubble? What is he saying? Actually, we're going to learn that what God is saying is a person. How God communicates is through a person. How he shares who he is, is there is a person who is the very expression of God. Well, let's keep on reading. Who is this guy? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Before there was anything, there was someone called God and someone called his Word. There's also somebody else. I'll talk talk about him in a second. There are three of them. But then verse 3, through him, through the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Have you ever seen a kid blowing bubbles? Or you've been a kid blowing bubbles, haven't you? What do you have? You have the child, you have the breath, and you have the bubble ring. And as the child breathes through the bubble ring, out comes the bubble. Yeah, And everything about that bubble has been shaped and defined by the bubble ring. The Bible says there's been this person called the Word, and through him all things have come. That this world has been shaped and defined by a person. Isn't that interesting? You know how kids, they always play that game, don't they? The why game. And it's always, you know, why is the sky blue? And why do flowers smell nice? And why are hugs great? And why, 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 why? And, and, and after they've asked that question about 17 million times, the only answer is, why? Because it's bedtime. Go! You know, isn't it? That's, that's, that's the end of that conversation. But imagine if you could keep on asking the why question. Why this? And why that? And why this? And why? But why? But why? But why? But why? But why? As you trace all those whys back, according to the Bible, you get... Because there is a person, because there is someone that this world is shaped by. There is, there is a person at the heart of reality, which I think is extraordinary. You know, when you think, what is it that shapes the world? You know, maybe, maybe the world is just random. Maybe the world is just chaos. Is that what you think? Uh, I've got a, a good friend, doesn't believe in God. He's been utterly shaken by the Shoreham Air disaster, um, especially because he was driving along the A27 right, right past where, where, the, where the plane was just an hour before it happened. And ever since that air disaster happened, he's just been thinking, that could have been me. And everybody who lives around here, we're all sort of thinking the same thing, isn't it? It's a road that we drive down. And who would expect a plane to come down out of the sky and just, and just obliterate people? Just, and he keeps coming back to this thing. It's just so random. It's just so random. Is that how you feel about life? That life is just utterly random. So some people just think that the world is just chaos. It's just utterly chaos. Other people, they, they start to think, you know what? It's fate. Or it's karma. You know, we, we don't tend to go for that kind of answer very much in the West. When a disaster strikes, we're not usually the people who say, ah, those 11 people, they must have done something naughty. 
and, that's, and, and it's karma, getting them back. We don't, we don't tend to think in those terms in the West, do we? Um, but for a lot of people, a lot of people in the world, they kind of think, oh, it's karma. The trouble is, if you come over here and you say, it's all chaos, or if you go over here and you say, it's all karma, you know what? You're not able to say the thing that all of us want to say deep down, which is that this is wrong. This is tragic. This should not be. But you can't say that. If you think all things are just random, nothing is wrong, is it? If everything's random, nothing's wrong. If it's all just chaotic, well, some people get lucky and some people don't. That's life. And, and when planes fall out of skies, it might be unpleasant, it might be ugly, we might cry a bit, but we can't say that that's wrong if everything's chaos, can we? And yet, all of us, whether you're a Christian or you're not this morning, you all want to say, it's wrong. That stuff should not be. Yeah? But if you just say everything's chaotic, you can't say that. Or if you come over this side and you say everything's just karma, again, you can't call it wrong, can you? If you think that what goes around comes around, well, it's not wrong then, is it? It's just, it's fair. But of course, no one in this room wants to say that. No one, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, you don't want to say that about life, that it's just karma biting you in the backside. You don't want to say that, do you? So the whole world, when, when we look out at a world that's chaotic and suffering, the whole world either says, oh, it's completely chaos, or it's just completely karma, but it doesn't help us to handle life the way it is. According to the Bible, this universe is Christ's universe. Uh, not chaos, not karma, something else. There is a person at the heart of this universe. A person who we're about to see, he's full of life, he's full of light, he's full of goodness, and he enters into suffering and darkness in order to bring us through but with this person, we don't say it's just chaos, and we don't just say it's karma. We say there is a good God revealed in Jesus, and he really is for goodness. And he stands for us and with us, and he weeps with us through the darkness, and he wants to bring us into the light. But we're able to make sense of the stuff that we feel should not be, because Jesus tells us, no, it should not be. But there's something better coming. With Christ, it's different. It's not just impersonal chaos. It's not just impersonal karma. There is a person called Christ who helps us make sense of things. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 4, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Do you ever feel like... You know that there's light in this world, don't you? you? You know that there's goodness. You know that there's love. You know that there's life. You know that there's self-giving and sharing and joy and feasting. You, you know that there's light in this world. And you also know that there's darkness, don't you? But think about light and darkness for a second. Darkness is what happens when you turn from the light, isn't it? Darkness is an absence of light. And you wish that someone would just switch the lights on in a dark situation. But light and darkness, they're not equal opposites, are they? Light and darkness? 
We kind of think that way because we've watched far too much Star Wars. Um, And in Star Wars, there's the light side and there's the dark side. And they are sort of these equal opposites and they're in this punch-up forever and who's going to win? You know, which is stronger, goodness or evil, light or darkness? We don't know. We're just going to punch out, you know. Is that how how it is? Of course that's not how it is, is it? Light's far stronger than darkness, isn't it? Isn't it? Light is far stronger than darkness. You know, there's a a whole bank of kind of light switches at 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 the back of this room. And you switch on the light, and instantly the darkness must flee, right? There are not a whole bank of darkness switches that you switch on, and they push back against the lights because they're so strong. Darkness is not like that, is it? And according to the Bible, goodness and evil are not like that. There is a good God. And he is revealed in this person called Jesus as completely light. There's no darkness in him. There's no shadow in him. He's completely light. And yet there's this other thing called darkness in the world. And it's this absence of light. But that darkness is not an equal opposite force to Jesus. Not an equal and opposite force to the forces of good. And what Jesus wants to do is enter into our darkness and bring us into his light. That's what he wants to do. We'll skip down. Next, next uh, few verses from verse 10. Talking about this same person called the Word. The one who reveals who God is. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. It's this crazy thing. Here we are in the world and we're kind of in the shadows and the light comes and we, just, we, we don't want him. We don't want him. I was speaking to this uh, woman in a, in a university. She was a student and uh, I was talking to her about some of this stuff and saying, wouldn't it be great if God actually showed up and said, here I am, do you want to get to know me? And she said, no. I said, really, why not? She said, I quite enjoy my life, to be honest. It's like, oh, and you think God would spoil all your fun? She said, oh, yeah. And if he, came into the, if he came into my life, he'd start calling the shots. And to be honest, I quite like calling the shots in my life. It's like, so you wouldn't want to know God. If, if, he, if he revealed himself to you, you would not want to know God. She said, absolutely not. I'm really enjoying life. It's interesting, isn't it? But actually, she's just being honest. That's kind of the natural inclination of all our own hearts, isn't it? Um, if I was, don't, don't answer this out loud, but if I was to ask you, who's got the right to tell you what to do in life? Right? What does your heart do? Like you, you, know, you, you could be the church treasurer here, and you're still thinking, nobody! You know, nobody's got the right to tell. All our hearts are like that, aren't they? Who's got the right to tell you what to do? None of us, none of us like that, that idea. And the Bible says that when the light of the world came into planet Earth, we didn't much like that. We didn't much want him. Our response to him was kind of arms folded, thanks, for, thanks but no thanks. And then it, it got much more ugly than that by the end, didn't it? If you keep on reading John's Gospel, you see what the world ends up doing when the light of the world shows up. We want to silence the word of God. We want to snuff out the light of the world. We want to kill the fountain of life. We crucify Christ. That's kind of what we do because we don't want the light. You know, how, do, how, does a, um, how does a club, how does a nightclub get rid of its punters late at night? 
What are they? I'm sure none of you are ever in a, in a nightclub until late at night, but um, I've read books about it, so I know. No, um, if you're there till last thing at night in a nightclub, what do they do? What do they do to get rid of all the punters? They just switch on the lights, don't they? And everyone scurries, don't they? You know, these sort of burgeoning lovebirds who've been kind of dancing, looking, gazing adoringly into each other's eyes. The light comes on. You're like, oh, well, see you later. Uh, you know? Because in the light, you know, all your pimples start to get seen and your wrinkles and your bloodshot eyes. And, and we want to hide, don't we? We want to hide. The Bible says when the light switches on, our natural inclination is to scurry into the shadows. We, we don't want someone to see all our warts, all our wrinkles, all our blemishes. We don't want someone to see. But at some stage, you find someone who you can trust, don't you? Hopefully, you can find someone and you don't mind being in the light with them. You find someone and maybe... As you get together and you say, I want to be with this person forever, at some stage, you don't mind being seen by that person. In fact, you don't even mind being seen naked by that person because you trust them. And they can see, and that's okay. Because you know they love you. And at that stage, it's the most beautiful thing in the world, isn't it? When someone sees all of you and loves you nonetheless. We crave that, don't we? All of us. All of us want to be seen down into the darkness of our hearts and for someone to see all that mess and say, it's okay, I can handle that. That's all right. We'll get through this. That's okay. That is your deepest desire. It's my deepest desire to have someone see us to the bottom and yet love us to the stars. It's what we all crave. The Bible says there is someone. He already sees you. He already sees that stuff. And there can come a time when you fling open the doors and you say, light, come in, look around, see what's there. I trust you. A Christian is just basically someone who said that to Jesus. A Christian is just someone who said, Jesus, there's a lot of mess down there. You're not going to like it. I don't like it. I'm, I'm afraid of it, to be honest. But I just kind of fling open the doors and don't hurt me. <laughs> be gentle. And let the light in. This is what these verses describe. Verse 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, this one called the word Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Here's this person who comes into your life and he says, I want you forever. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to take you, you're mine, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to be in you, you're going to be in me, we're going to have this relationship forever, and I'm bringing you into the family love that I've always enjoyed. And now, says Jesus, you can call my father your father. You can come in on my family love. And you can be adopted into a relationship that you can never lose. That's the wonderful thing about being a child, isn't it? No, no matter what happens, you're always the child of your parents, aren't you? No matter what happens. You could run away a thousand times over. You're always the child of your parents. And that's the kind of relationship that a heavenly father wants to have with you. He sends you his son, 
and his son comes into your life, he sees all the darkness and he says, that's okay, you're mine. And he brings you to this father and now you know yourself as a child, utterly loved. And you can start to call the God of the universe, dad. That's amazing. That's amazing. You might have had a terrible experience of of human dads. I've had a pretty rubbish experience of human dads. But I tell you, it's been the most healing thing, the most wonderful thing to know that there's a God in heaven who is what true dads are meant to be like. And he will love you with this everlasting, ongoing love. You'll have his love forever. You'll have Jesus with you. Jesus will fill you with his Holy Spirit. Have you heard about him? I'll talk about him in a second. He'll fill you with his Holy Spirit. And you can walk with Jesus through the darkness and into the light. That's the offer. That's the offer that Jesus makes to each and every one of us. On the next verse, we see this wonderful truth about who this word is. I've, I've, I've spoiled it, haven't you? I've, I've given you the spoilers. Jesus is the word. He is the word of God. He's the communication of God. We know that because of verse 14. The word became flesh, one of us, our brother. Our brother in every way. He became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the explanation of God. He is what God is really, really like. And he's come into this world to say, I love you. I am full of grace and truth. I am full of light and life. I want to come into your life. And if you receive me, then I want to bring you into my family love forever. This is what Jesus says. And if you keep on reading through John's gospel, I really urge you to do that. If you don't have a Bible, we can get you a Bible. Ask us, ask us this, this afternoon. Just, just say, I'd like, I'd like a Bible. Ask us this morning, we'll give you a Bible. You can go away and keep reading about this Jesus, who it says there is full of grace and truth. I wonder what you uh, think of when you think of the word grace. It was our first song, wasn't it? We were thinking about amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. What do you think of when you think of grace? We start to think of, I, I start to think of sort of ballet dancers, you know, full of grace, you know, graceful movement. I, I think of someone full of sweetness. I think of someone who can handle my mess, someone who can handle my darkness. I think of someone who loves me unconditionally. When I think of someone who's full of grace, I think of one kind of person. When I think of someone who is full of truth, I think of someone quite different. Are you the same? When someone says, I just tell it like it is. You're like, oh, okay. Probably dealing with a Yorkshireman at that stage. <laughs> and probably you don't want to get on the wrong side of this one. you know. Um, or in Australian, we're, we're, we're pretty straight talking as well, full of truth. Don't we, we usually think, oh, there's grace, and isn't that lovely? And we think of truth, you know, the hard truth. What's Jesus like? Jesus is full of grace and truth together. And I tell you, that is the most attractive combination you've ever seen in your life. If you keep on reading through John, you see what it looks like. Um, You read on into chapter 2 of John's gospel, and uh, and Jesus shows up in two different places in John chapter 2. He shows up at a party, and they're really running low on booze. 
And then he shows up at a temple where people are worshipping and praying. Okay? Here comes the Son of God, the Word of God, the one who explains what God's like. He goes to a party that's running out of booze, and he goes to a temple full of worshippers. What does he do? You've got to read John. You've got to read. Because he, he goes to the party, and he brings wine. Heck of a lot of wine. It's his first miracle. Turns 670 liters of water into 670 liters of the greatest wine. Incredible, isn't it? He goes to the party and he brings wine. Next stop, he goes to the temple and he brings a whip. This guy's interesting. Don't you think? When the Son of God shows up, what's he going to do? He goes to the party and he brings wine. He goes to the temple and he brings a whip because they're complete hypocrites. They're totally getting it wrong. They're conning the people and he can't stand it for a minute longer. He starts turning over the tables in the temple and he starts driving out all these people who are trying to make a fast buck. This guy's interesting, don't you think? This Jesus. I don't know if you believe in God or not this morning. Um, but if you, if you do believe in God this morning, I've still got a question for you. Which God do you believe in? Which God do you believe in? Because it's very easy just to picture a God up in heaven with a big beard, high on power, low on personality, someone a little bit like your head teacher at school who's telling you must try harder. You know, is that, is that who God is? Not according to the Word of God. The Word of God, the one who expresses God, he's quite different. So maybe you do believe in God, but do you know about this Jesus God? He's interesting. Or maybe you don't believe in God, or you're not sure whether you believe in God or not. Again, I've got a question for you. Which God don't you believe in? Which God? Usually I ask that question to people who say they don't believe in God. I say, well, describe God to me. This God that you don't believe in, tell me about him. And again, they just tell me about the distant head teacher. And I go, brilliant, well done, congratulations. I too do not believe in that God. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about this guy who goes to the party and he brings wine. He goes to the temple and he brings a whip. When you start to see that God is like this Jesus, things start to get interesting. You keep reading in John's Gospel. You get to chapter 3. He's talking to this Bible teacher in Israel called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, he is you know, the most respected Bible teacher. He's religious, he's righteous, he's respected in the community. And Jesus tells him famously, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. Have you heard that phrase before, being born again? When you think about it, it's, it's a really offensive phrase, isn't it? You know, we've, we've just had a, a baby, she's nine months old. If I brought her to King's Lewis and you said, oh, that's really sweet. And how old is Ruby again? I say she's nine months. And then you say, oh, isn't that sweet? I think though she needs to be born again. <laughs> be like, how dare you? <laughs> what was wrong with her first birth? <laughs> Jesus, if that's offensive to say to a nine-month-old baby, how much more offensive is it to say to a 40-year-old theologian, respected, righteous, kind of upstanding member of society, Jesus says, you've got to start again. Every, everything that you've known up until this point, that counts for nothing with God. You've got to start completely again. That's, that's what he says to the most righteous, respectable person in the room. And then the very next chapter, he goes and speaks to this woman who's from, according to all his disciples, this woman is the wrong religion, the wrong gender, the wrong lifestyle, the wrong race, the wrong everything. This woman has just got, gotten it wrong according to everybody else 
uh, who's around. Jesus goes to this woman and he's instantly just offering her the living waters of his spirit. And he just gives her forgiveness, is just on a hair trigger with this woman. As soon as she talks to him, he's just unloading heaven's richest blessings on this woman, who according to everybody else was wrong religion, wrong race, wrong gender, wrong lifestyle. She was just wrong and Jesus is just full of grace and truth and truth and grace, and grace, and truth, and grace, and truth. And you just got to keep on reading through John's gospel. And you'll see, as he gets to the end, he's there on the cross. And on the cross, he's joining us in our darkness. And he's basically telling the truth about us. He's saying, you know what? I have come to meet you in the pit, and this is where you are. There's you and me on that cross, in a sense. We're dying in the darkness. We're perishing. And we know it. And Jesus comes to meet us where we are. He tells the truth. But he's also on that cross saying, and I love you anyway. And I want you anyway. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all on that cross. He didn't just tell the truth about you. He had grace. He had compassion on you. To pay for all that and to rise up again and just to say, do you want me? Do you want me? That's just my question for you. This morning, do you, do you want Jesus? Be mad not to want Jesus. There's lots of ways that you can keep on asking these questions about who is Jesus. I really urge you to keep on reading through John's gospel. Wouldn't it be amazing to see what does it look like when God shows up? It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? What does it look like? It's incredible. It's incredible. You see this Jesus full of grace and truth. Keep on reading John's gospel. Uh, we've got uh, these books, three, two, one. It basically starts where I've just started here, saying... What if God is like Jesus? And then you can keep reading. If God is like Jesus, oh, what does this mean for who God is? What does this mean for the world? What does this mean for me? Keep on reading, three, two, one. I'd love to give that uh, as a gift to you. We've already mentioned Alpha as well. A great introduction to who is Jesus and thinking it through. You get a free meal next week. Uh, When is that? Fourth of October, seven o'clock in Prezzo. Um, Join us. I'll be there. Join us, and we'll keep on thinking about what it would mean if Jesus really is God. It's the most stunning good news. Um, but maybe, maybe this morning you think, yeah, I want this Jesus. Um, I've spent too long in the darkness by myself. I, I just, I want, I want him. I want to fling open the doors, and I want him in my life. And I don't have the answers to every question. That's cool. None of us in this room have the answers to every question at all. But at some stage, you know enough to trust Jesus. And you, and you think, you look at him and you think, I think he's trustworthy. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I think Jesus is trustworthy. Um, and if that's you, why don't we just call out to Jesus and just say, Jesus, I'm flinging open the doors. Will you come in? Can I receive you this morning? Why don't we all just bow our heads and... Um, Let me lead us in a little prayer. I say a few words. The words that I say are not magic. They're they're just words that you might want to say to Jesus, to say, Jesus, I I want you in my life. And maybe uh, after I say them, you can echo them silently in your heart, just just to begin that relationship with him and say, Jesus, I want you. Lord Jesus, 
thank you that you care about me. I'm sorry that I haven't wanted you. I'm sorry that I have lived in the dark. Thank you for coming. Thank you for living your life. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for paying for it all. Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. Please walk with me through the darkness and into the light. Lord Jesus, help me to know your Father as my Father. Please fill me with your Spirit. Please lead me and love me now and forever, I pray. Amen.